last night about 8.30, 9 o'clock, I noticed that it was snowing out my window, and there was this little childish impulse in me that thought, I should go drag my kids out of bed, we should bundle up, we should go outside and just walk in the snow. There was that little glimmer, and then reality set in. I was like, no way. This is, this is annoying. The, the, the kids, if I was to get them out of bed, they would derail the night. It would be a couple hours of chaos and putting on all of the snow gear and then taking all the snow gear off. And, and uh, then they would have a hard time falling asleep. And all this means is that tomorrow morning, I'm going to have to get up. And before I preach, I'm going to have to go out. And I'm going to have to shovel my driveway. And I'm going to have to wipe off all of my cars, my two cars that are both out in the driveway, not in the garage. And so I was grouchy. I had a hard time responding to the snow with a joyful response. Well, around 9 o'clock, my daughter Avery gets out of bed to come. Who knows why ever kids get out of bed. It's just part of the reality. If you have kids, you know. And she notices out the window, it's snowing. And just beaming, lit up face. Dad, it's snowing. Finally, we've been waiting. It's snowing. She runs into the room and tells her siblings, they're all out of bed, looking out the window. It's snowing. It's snowing. Finally, it's snowing. Wake up this morning at 6 a.m., which they're not supposed to wake up till like 7 a.m., especially when I'm trying to get ready for the sermon. They wake up and they're just eager. Let's go outside. Let's go outside. So Oakley and Judah are home right now, playing in the snow. They responded to this good news with joy, right? They had a good response. Uh, just a response of purity and innocence and joy. And, and I often see this in younger people. And I remember when I was younger, this was my response. And now that I get older, I think about all the responsibilities and all the different ways that different things hit me in life. And I think it's good for us to keep in mind as we watch children and their innocence and their joy, the the good responses that they have to good news. This December, we're looking at different disciples and the responses that they have to the good news that Jesus The Messiah, the Savior of the world, is about to enter our existence and redeem and save us. It's also good for us to be reminded that as we look at these disciples, many of them are younger than many of us. They're like in their teenage years and early 20s, and there's this type of response, this good response that they give that we often lose as we go through life and we deal with the hardships and the battles of life. And so this morning, we're going to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, and see how she responds to the good news. And we're going to see that good news deserves a good response. Mary has an incredible response to the news that Jesus is about to enter the world. And so this morning, we're going to look at it. I'm going to ask that you stand as I read our text for today. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, and 46 46 through 56. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and of the virgins, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give, him to, the th- give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now jump down to verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Lord God, I pray that you would help the good news of this text to produce in us a good response. A good response like Mary, where she humbles herself before you. Lord, as we go through this Advent season, Lord, there's good news and good experiences and good events for many of us. May we respond to those things in a good, appropriate, right way. Lord, there's also bad events, bad news, bad experiences. Lord, we're all on a different journey this season. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet each one of us where we're at this morning. Remind us of where we are in you, that we are in your presence. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So have your way in us as you speak to us. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, today we're going to look at kind of the good news for Mary and then the good response of Mary. The good news for Mary and the good response of Mary. See, this is the reality of the gospel. Gospel means good news. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, where we get our word evangelical. It has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with, like, kind of what culture and media paints the word evangelical to be. Evangelical comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news, which is the gospel, which is that God broke into our world and saved and redeemed us. And so Mary receives the good news from God about her life, that there's hope, that there's meaning, that there's purpose, that there's a good day ahead, and in fact, that God is with her in the midst of her current struggle. And then she responds to this good news in a certain way, and I think there's a lot that you and I can learn from observing Mary's response. But before we observe her response, let's consider the good news for Mary. The first piece of good news for Mary is that God invades her world. God invades her world. Think about this. So many of us were going through our lives mundane, day in and day out. We set the alarm clock. We get up. We go to work. We, we make our money. We pay our bills or we struggle to find a job and we're hoping and longing for a job so that we can pay our bills. We're wrestling through life. We're getting the kids ready or we're hoping to find a spouse or we're wrestling through the loss of a spouse or the loss of a loved one. We're going on the constant treadmill of our daily lives. Life was different for Mary in the first century. She didn't have her Instagram account, account to check. 
She didn't have her Facebook account to check. She didn't have to get caught up on her text messages and her Snapchats. But she was living life in the typical normal way that a Jewish woman in the village of Nazareth would have been living her life. Kind of mundane, day in and day out. Get up, do her chores, do her responsibilities. She had to like travel to get her water. She didn't have washing machines to clean her clothes. She didn't have a faucet in her sink. She didn't have a refrigerator in her kitchen. Her life was busy with the doing, with the keeping life going, however that looked like 2,000 years ago, right? We can speculate. I wasn't there. I don't exactly know, but we know that they didn't have all the modern amenities that we have. Mary's just going about her life. She's betrothed, engaged to a man named Joseph to be married. She's, she's likely in her teens. They got married earlier and younger back in that culture and in that day. And so she's likely just kind of entering into adulthood, about to be married to this man named Joseph. And God invades her world. Look at verse 26 through 28. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, this small little kind of backwoods town in the region of Galilee, this little village named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. God invades Mary's world. This is good news for Mary. This is good news for every one of us. For if it wasn't for God invading our world, we would be going about life in the way of the world, day in and day out, searching for our own, for our own meaning, trying to contribute to our own existence, trying to make sense of our existence and why we're here and what comes next and, and just going about life like on the rat race, right? The, the constant trying to just take it day by day and step by step and not really sure what our purpose and meaning is for. And Mary is here in this life, just living her life as a devout Jewish girl about to be married, and God invades her world. He, he wakes her up to this eternal reality, to something deeper. He wakes her up to this spiritually unseen realm and what's about to happen. That God, who had been silent for 400 years to the Israelites, is now about to do a new thing, and he's choosing to use Mary as a key player in this situation. God invades her world. He wakes her up. This is how all of us come to faith. As we consider this, as we look at God just speaking into Mary's life, God invading Mary's world, he did it in a supernatural, miraculous way, right? The angel Gabriel. Maybe you had a miraculous experience where God invaded your world. Maybe it was less miraculous and it was more mundane and played out over time, but the reality is for all of us, if you are a follower of Jesus or, or if you are interested in, in following Jesus is because God invaded your world. It's not because you pulled yourself up by your religious moral bootstraps and found God. It's, it's not because your efforts, your righteousness, your good deeds, your religious attendance at temple or church, maybe you grew up with religious attendance. Maybe you grew up with good morals. Maybe you grew up doing all of that, but at some point in your life, in your story, God broke through and invaded your world like he did for Mary. See, this is how all of us come to faith. We're busy tending to our worldly business, 
busy with the daily mundane realities of life or religion maybe even. When God all of a sudden gets a hold of us, maybe God invaded your world with good news from above. Maybe miraculously, you like Mary heard, heard an angel. Maybe Jesus appeared to you in a dream or through some significant supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit and God invaded your world from above in power in glory. Maybe God invaded your world from like beside from a family member or a friend or a pastor or a sermon. Think back over your life. Consider how God took initiative in saving you. This is good news. We don't find God. God finds us. He invades our world. This is true for every follower of Jesus because God has a heart for his creation. And he's searching for people who would respond to the good news. He's invading our world. Think about your own life and story and consider how God invaded your world because this is going to help you respond in a right way. When you keep in mind that, that God broke into my sin, that God broke into my rebellion, that God broke into me seeking to do life in my own way, in my own timeline, me wanting to be my own authority, God broke in and he changed my life. He invaded my world. And as we keep this in mind, we'll respond to him in a manner similar to Mary. Maybe God invaded your world through tragic situations. Oftentimes in like loss, natural disasters and tragedy, people start to seek for God. And in those moments, God begins to invade their world. God invaded Mary's world. This is good news for her. It's good news for us. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, no, God has never invaded my world. I've never heard from him. The reality that you're sitting here right now this morning or that you happen to click on this link on Facebook right now is because God is seeking to invade your world, right? The only reason we hear God's word, whether it's preached or proclaimed through a pastor, or whether it's in a small group, whether it's at a Bible study, whether, whether maybe it's like my mother-in-law who grew up in a non-Christian family and when her older sister was in high school, she went to the state fair and somebody handed her a tract, like a little gospel tract, a little kind of cheesy couple verses on a piece of paper tract at the state fair, handed it to my, my aunt-in-law Nancy at the state fair. She read it having no idea who Jesus was, no context about the church, she read it in the 70s and thought, I need to give my life to Jesus. She brought that tract home, gave it to my mother-in-law, Terry, who read it and said, I need to give my life to Jesus. And two generations later, my mother-in-law's grandkids are growing up hearing about Jesus week in and week out because God invaded Terry, my mother-in-law's world. So God cares for us. He's seeking us. He's seeking to invade us. And so if you're here this morning searching for God, know that the very fact that you're here, that the Bible's open on your lap, it's because God is seeking after you. He's invading your world, trying to get your response, a response similar to that of Mary, which we're going to get to. But before we get there, let's continue to consider the good news for Mary. God shows her favor. So God invades Mary's world, and then God shows her favor. Look at verse 28. And, God, and, and he, Gabriel, came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Greetings, O favored one. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Some traditions will say Mary was without sin. Mary was upright and righteous and morally perfect and pure. That's not the reality at all. Mary was just like you and I. She was, a, she was born a sinner by nature and choice. She inherited the original sin from Adam and Eve, and then she also chose to sin. We don't know what her sins were, but Mary, like all of us, is a sinner by nature and choice. God invades her world, and he shows her favor. This word favor, in the Greek, it's charis. It means grace. It means undeserved favor, unearned merit. Here's what the scriptures are telling us. Not what church tradition is telling us. What the, what the scriptures are telling us is that Mary received God's grace. Charis means, means to, be, to be kind of endowed with or gifted grace or favor. God saying to Mary through the angel Gabriel that she's favored has nothing to do with Mary's character, has nothing to do with Mary's religious observance. It has everything to do with the fact that God invaded her world and he showered her with grace and favor like each and every one of us. God breaks into her world and says, favored one. As you seek to hear the good news and respond to the good news, church family, it's so important that you and I keep in mind that God has showered us with favor, with undeserved grace. It's not because you did your devotions. It's not because you consistently went to church. It's not because you gave money when they asked you to give money. It's not because you said your prayers in the right way or because you did all the right things. See, this is, this is religion. This is religious duty. This is legalism where we pile on duty, duty, duty. Here's how we do things. And if we do the right things, then God will be happy with us. Then God will be pleased with us. And then God will show us favor. And he may allow me to spend eternity in heaven with him if I do the right things in the right way for the right amount of time. And oh, how easy it is for us to get caught up in that mindset. And when we're caught up in that mindset, we don't respond to the good news because we don't really understand the good news. We don't get the gospel. The gospel is that God shows favor. God invades Mary's world. He shows her favor. He gives her undeserved grace, unearned favor. I was reminded of this powerfully this summer when I was on sabbatical. And some of you, some of you need to know that like, God speaks to many of us in different ways and, and we all have different personalities and styles and so what works for somebody else may not work for you. So we've got to break out of kind of this religious mold where we think that everyone needs to do devos in the morning and they have to do it the right way and that God speaks, the way that God has spoken to you is the same way that God will speak to everyone else. One of the most powerful ways that God spoke to me when I was on sabbatical, and I, I read the Bible a lot and God spoke to me a ton through the Bible. But one of the most powerful ways that he spoke to me was when I closed the Bible, I put on music, and I went out for runs. See, I love music. There's something about music that stirs my soul. There's something about music that, that just brings me into reality. It taps into both my intellect and my emotion, right? Sometimes when I'm reading, it's just, I'm, I'm not an intellectual guy. I'm an adventurous guy. I'm an emotional guy. And so like, when, I, when I'm out in nature, when I'm listening to music, it ta taps into my adventure and my emotion. And there's the song by Need to Breathe called, Who, Who Am I? 
and the lyrics go, who am I, who am I, who am I to be loved by you? As I was running one morning, that song came on and those lyrics just hit me and it reminded me of God's favor for me. Who am I, who am I, who am I to be loved by you? And it wrecked me. It reminded me that I'm loved by God, that God has invaded my world and he has showered me with grace and favor, not because I'm a pastor, not because I preach good sermons, not because I have the right devotional life, not because I respond to every social situation in the right way, but that God invaded my world. He showered me with his favor in the same way that he invades Mary and he says, greetings, O favored one. Fear not, for God has, you, you have found favor with God. You're the recipient of God's grace. Why? Good question. Why? Why me, God? Why me? And there's no good answer, by the way, other than because I love you. And I chose you. And I'm invaded your world. And I'm endowing you with grace and favor. I'm showering you with my love. And because of that, we can respond like Mary. We'll get there in a minute. One more thing, one more piece of the good news here is just that God provides for Mary a savior. So God invades her world, God showers her with favor, and then God also provides for her a savior. Look at verse 31 through 34 to get the context here. The angel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. If you remember from last week when we looked at Joseph, we learned that Jesus, it comes from the, from the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, which means God saves. The very name Jesus is that God saves. And so the angel is telling Mary, you, you, you have the Son in you. The Holy Spirit has caused you to, to be impregnated. You have the Son in you. His name is Jesus. His very name means that God saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. God had promised in the Old Testament that in the line of David, on the throne of David, the Messiah would come, the true king of the world, not just the king of Israel. Not setting up a world power, not establishing Jerusalem as, and the Israelites as a world power, but coming as a king for the whole world, for Jew and Gentile alike. He will give to him the throne of of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This son, this savior son is entering the world, and he's creating a new kingdom, an underground kingdom that involves people of all different colors and cultures and backgrounds and languages and continents. And right now, today, around the world, there's churches gathering in thousands of different languages, in hundreds of different countries, thousands, in homes, in church buildings, in temples, in synagogues, underneath trees, in the Amazon jungle, worshiping King Jesus. As this prophecy has been fulfilled, the angel tells Mary, this son will come. He will save. Last week, the angel told Joseph specifically, he will save his people from their sins. Here he's telling Mary, Jesus, God saves. He's come to establish his rule and his reign. Here's the good news for Mary, and it's the good news for each one of us this morning in this Advent season, church family. 
regardless of where you're at, if you're, if you're coming into Advent season kind of mourning it because it's not for you what it is for others, right? I mean, some people have lost loved ones during the Advent season. Some people have had broken marriages and broken families. And there's just, there's so many mixed emotions. The, the suicide rate spikes around the holidays because there's so much despair and brokenness and loneliness. I was talking to somebody who told me that a, that a mental health counselor recently said, you know what, I, I just know that November and December are my busiest months every year because there's something around these holiday seasons that just create increased anxiety for people already feeling anxiety, increased loneliness for people already feeling lonely. And for other people, it brings increased joy and happiness and family and warmth. And so keep in mind, church family, as we do this life together, that this is our hope. This is our good news. It's not that our family would function the way that we've always longed for it to function. It's not that our Christmas Eve and Christmas morning would be just the way that we want it to be. It's not that all these little events that we have would would turn out just the way that we want it to. And None of that is good news. The true gospel, the true good news, the rooted good news of the Advent season that will cause us to have a good response regardless of life circumstances that God is working to invade our world. Christmas is a sign, it's a reminder that he broke into our world and he's still doing that. That God showers his people with favor, with undeserved grace and merit. And that God provides for us a savior. His name is Jesus. Amen? This is the good news. Church family, this Christmas season, cling to that, remember that, focus on that. And if you do, you ought to be able to respond over time and and in different seasons in a similar fashion to Mary because good news deserves a good response. And so how does Mary respond? The first way that Mary responds is to seek clarity. Look at verse 29. Greetings, O favored one, verse 28. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love that Mary's first response is, it's not to worship. It's not necessarily a good, well, it is a good response. I think that's that's part of this point here is that it's good for us to seek clarity. When God invades our world, when God showers us with favor, when God communicates to us that there's a savior, there's this process of seeking clarity. What does that mean? What does it look like? What, why me? Right? I mean, Mary's troubled. This angel says, greetings, O favored one. And she knows she's a sinner by nature and choice. She's a Jew. She knows the Old Testament. She knows how her people have broken their, their covenant relationship with God over and 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 over again. She knows. She knows her, how her own heart wanders, how her own religious duty and devotion is, is lukewarm at best. And so she's seeking clarity. What does this mean that the angel of God says that I'm a favored one? How could I be favored? What have I done that's favorable? This is part of our process of responding to the gospel. Like when you get the gospel, when you get the good news, part of the response is to say, why me? What have I done to earn this? 
What have I done to deserve this? And the response is nothing. God has showered you with favor. So Mary's wrestling with this. She's seeking clarity. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Part of responding to the gospel is seeking clarity. What does it mean that he's 100% God, 100% man? What is it? Can a virgin really give birth? There's questions to be asked. I love this response of Mary, this human response of Mary, like, why me and how? And so if you're in a season right now of asking questions, no, that's part of a good response. The Bible calls us to have faith like a child, kind of this pure, innocent, receiving God, responding to God, but it doesn't call us to have childlike faith where, where we don't ask hard questions, where we don't seek clarity, where we don't wrestle through the hard things of life or wrestle through what, is it, what, what do all these theological truths mean? Mary shows us that that's part of the response to the gospel. We're all in different places and stages on that journey, but I want to remind you, church, if you're asking questions, if you're seeking clarity, if you're searching to understand the gospel, that's a good thing. That's a good response to the good news. Mary, Mary is discerning what sort of greeting this might be, and she's asking the angel how this is going to come about since she's a virgin. Most of us don't have like ongoing dialogue with an angel, Right? So we can't necessarily ask an angel to explain all these things to us. And so for you and I, our, our seeking clarity is being in God's word. Okay, this verse says this, this passage says this, this verse says this, this passage says this. How do those fit together? I don't know. Let me ask somebody. It means being in community group, seeking God's word together with community. It means listening to sermons and podcasts and reading books. It means wrestling with stuff, specifically in community Make sure you're spending more time wrestling with seeking clarity from God in community, like real embodied community. People who you can, you can see their character along with their teaching, not just somebody who's like in Florida or Texas or California or New York. It's good to get sources, but our seeking clarity comes in community. It's wrestling with God's word. It's God using the Holy Spirit and all of his means, whether it's natural or supernatural, to help answer our questions, and sometimes to just silence our questions, right? There's a, there's a time and a place to ask questions and seek clarity, but then there's also a time and a place to just surrender authority, which is the next point here. Mary responds to the good news by seeking clarity, but then also to surrendering authority. So we'll continue on in this passage. She's having this conversation with the angel. What does it mean that I'm favored? How will this happen since I'm a virgin? And I love in verse 37, the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Keep in mind, your God, Yahweh, is unlike any other God. He's unlike any other politician. He's unlike any other pastor. He's unlike any other Christian role model that you follow. God is God. Nothing is impossible with God. This is what the angel tells Mary, and Mary says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary surrenders any perceived authority over her own life that she has. This is what it means to respond to the good news. It means to acknowledge and admit that you're not in control. 
You're not in control of your own life. You don't have authority over your own life. The word servant here comes from the Greek word doulos, which means bond servant, bond slave. Mary is saying, I am indebted as a slave to God Almighty. Where God leads, I will go. What God says, I will do. She surrenders her own authority to the authority of God. This is where some of the battle is for us as we try to respond to the good news, right? Keep in mind the good news, what it is, what it means. God invaded your world. God showered you with favor. God has provided you a savior. Seek clarity, but then in the process of seeking clarity, don't try to hold on to to authority. Sometimes we, we seek clarity. We ask questions. We seek to discern what God is doing or what he's not doing, why he's doing this, why he's not doing that. And some of it is really just our attempt to try and control our own lives or to try and control God or to try and control the circumstances around us, right? Because we want authority. Don't you? I want authority over my own life. I don't want a being that I can't see orchestrating the details of my life. And and here we get this beautiful picture from Mary, this young virgin girl in the small town of Nazareth, a marginalized person saying, I am going to surrender to God. He's my authority. I'm his bondservant. I'm his slave. Whatever God tells me to do, I will do. And so church, this is part of how we respond to the good news. And in reality, there's, there's moments where we're doing this better than others, right? Probably moments every day. This is such a battle to have authority over our own souls, our own lives, our own decisions, our own pursuits, our own investments, our own whatever it is. And so let Mary be a reminder to you that responding to the good news means continually surrendering your own authority to God's good authority, saying, I'm a servant of Yahweh. What my God says, what my dad declares, what he invites me into, I will do. And then lastly, the third piece of a good response from Mary is that she just sings of God's glory. So after she surrenders her authority, I love verse 46 through 55. It's one of my favorite passages in all of, in all of scripture. Mary just sings this incredible song In this middle passage here, which we didn't read, she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist, and this is just a cool story. They get near each other, and John the Baptist somehow senses the Messiah in the womb of Mary, and, and Elizabeth feels John the Baptist like leap for joy in the womb. Nothing's impossible with God. God is supernatural. God God has a way of like giving signs and confirmations to people about the gospel. And so they're together, and then Mary responds this way to the good news, that that God has invaded her world, God has showered her with favor, God is providing her and the world a savior. Here's Mary's response. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary loses herself in worship as she receives the good news, as she hears the good news, she responds to the good news by losing herself in worship, by singing of God's glory. She does this in two ways. She, she sings of God's glory, right? This song is full of who God is, that God is holy, he is majestic, he is above, he is worthy of our worship and praise. And then she also responds with her own humility and with hunger, verse 48, she says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 52, and he has exalted those of humble estate. Verse 53, and he has filled the hungry with good things. It's on this point that I want to close the sermon this morning. The point that Mary responds with humility by acknowledging her spiritual hunger. She states that God fills the hungry with good things. If you're desiring to respond to the good news this morning for the thousandth time or maybe the first time, respond to the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. I want to invite you to take communion with the church family this morning as you reflect on verses 46 through 55 and the statement that God fills the hungry with good things. The band's going to come back up and, and as they start in this First song, I want you to sit where you are and keep this passage open and reread Mary's response here and make a special observation of verse 53 where she says that God has filled the hungry with good things. And then when you feel led and ready, take communion where you're at. As an act of spiritual hunger, as a prayerful request for God to fill you with good things as you feast on him, as you seek to fill your spiritual hunger with how he nourishes us, with his body given for us and his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So I'm going to pray and then sit there, reread this, think and consider that, take communion when you're ready. And then when you feel ready as well, you can stand and sing the gospel with us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that you've invaded our world and at least you're attempting to. Lord, may we be responsive. I thank you that you've showered us with favor. Nothing that we've done, but all by your grace. Lord, I thank you that you've provided for us a Savior, a Savior for our sins. Lord, as we respond to this, I pray that we would be a people who consistently seek clarity, a people who consistently surrender authority, and then I pray that we would also sing like Mary, sing of your glory. Pray that we would come to you in humility and hunger and be filled with good things as Mary has promised would happen. We pray these things in your name, Jesus.